So a couple weeks ago, I wrapped up that series going through 2 Corinthians, and now I'm kind of in between. It's not quite Advent and Christmas season yet, so I'm just kind of exploring. Yeah, not quite. I'll be here before we know it. But I'm just kind of exploring what, what God might have me share over the next few weeks. And for today, I was drawn to one of Jesus' parables in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. So let's go ahead and open up to Luke 15. This is the parable of the lost sheep. So let me just start by reading that parable. And if there's anyone who would like to come up and read it for us, I will... Make room for you to do that. Would anyone like to share it, read it for us? Larry, great. So verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety and nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Many of us are probably familiar with this parable. It's It's a really good illustration of God's views of mankind. He created all people to live in fellowship with him. He's the shepherd, we are the sheep. And as we all know, every one of us has been that stray sheep who's wandered off on our own. We've all sinned against God. We've chosen to follow our own desires rather than stay within the flock that place of safety that God has given us, that place of security in fellowship with him, close to one another, bound together in his love. And God is the kind of shepherd who loves each and every member of his flock. He knows every one of them by name. So much does he love them that he will go and pursue every single one that wanders off, as that parable tells. Rescue them and bring them back into the fold. And then celebrate the fact that, that you have returned. It's such a beautiful picture of how God loves each and every person. He loves each and every one of you in this way. Many of us have personal stories of the extent that God would go to to rescue us. And I was drawn to this parable today because of an interview I heard this week discussing the role the church can play in making a difference in the life of somebody who is caught in drug addictions. And there was something in this conversation that really struck me that honestly can apply to every kind of addiction, which honestly is the root of just about every sinful choice that we make. I think we become aware of the addictive nature of sin when we become Christians. We recognize that we're doing something against God's will, 
and we want to change and we want to live for God, and yet we continue to be pulled back into those things that we know we ought not to do. This is what Paul expresses in, in the book of Romans. He says, I continue to do the things I, I know I shouldn't do. And I think we're all familiar with that. There's something that keeps pulling us back. I know for myself, whenever I'm feeling uncertain or stressed or isolated, rather than doing what I know I should do sometimes, which is just rest in the love of God, know the security that comes from him, the first thing I want to do is just go load up on a bunch of junk food. And that may not seem sinful to a lot of people, but there's this, it is because rather than pursuing God and the thing that I know actually fulfills, I'm trying to fulfill it with something else. There's an addiction there, an addiction to that, that quick fix that the sin seems to provide. I think, and so this, this comment I heard, I think, applies not only to drug addiction, I think it applies to all kinds of sinful addictions that we and other people in the world struggle with. And so I want to share this with you today. Um, there's a statement in this conversation that really struck me. It really opened up a deeper understanding, I think, of just how persistent God's love is and what it takes to not only find that lost sheep, but really bring them back into the safety and security of the flock. So the statement that was made in this interview says that the drug causes a person to feel as though they have finally found the love that they haven't been able to find anywhere else in the world. And that is such a powerful and profound statement, I think, that you have this thing that you know is harmful to you, that you keep going back to because nothing else in life has ever given you that sense of love and acceptance before. That's what an addiction does to you. It leads you to that place where you keep going back, keep going back, even though it hurts you. Because people have betrayed you, because you've experienced feeling alone and isolated, left out. You don't feel like you live up to anything, but this thing, this thing makes you feel like you belong. There's something powerful about that when you think about what God does when we keep pursuing things like that. Now, um, a lot of medical interventions today for these kinds of serious drug addictions involves replacing the, the harmful drug with a different kind of drug. A medication, we'll call it. But you're still addicted. It just doesn't hurt you in the same way as the drug does. It doesn't kill you. And what this interview went on to point out is that here's where the role of the church is, to come alongside these people and actually show them love, real love, authentic love and fellowship. Show them the love of God. And that will eventually replace the false sense of security that comes from the addictive material, whatever it is. And I, we've talked about this before in our church, and we understand this to be true, but something struck me about how persistent those other things, those addictive things are in, in making us feel like we have gotten what we need. This is where the, um, where the power and persistence of God's love really becomes apparent. Um, when you have something in your life that's giving you the illusion 
that it will provide for all of the love and security that you need, you're not looking for it anywhere else. You're not out there going, hey, I, I need to replace this with authentic relationship with people. You're out there trying to hide from everyone else so you can keep getting the fix that you're getting from that addictive thing. And if we think about how sin affects our lives, I think we can, we're can. we all at least a little bit familiar with that kind of feeling. So people living with drug addictions, people who are finding other things, other distractions in life. Becky and I had a conversation about a mother who took her phones away from her kids. And the reaction the kids have was to steal the car and drive some 200 miles away trying to get away from their mother and trying to find, probably find a replacement for that thing that their mother took away from them, their phones. And so you can see, that's just another example of how there's so many things in our lives that cause that addiction, cause that feeling of this is the thing that I want and I'm not looking for it from anywhere else. So people will actually resist and push away the, the real help that's being provided. And this is what brings me back to Jesus' parable. That sheep that wanders off from the flock didn't just fall behind and happen to get lost. And they're, they're not out there going, oh no, where's my flock? I need to get back to them. No, they saw something more attractive than the flock. And they said, I want that. And I'm going to go after it. I don't care what's going on with the rest of these guys. I'm going to go after that thing. And then God loves so each person so much that he pursues them in love even when they don't want the love that he offers. Even when they're out there chasing after that other thing that pulls them away from them, God will continue to go after them again and again and again. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't pay attention to their attacks and the pushback and the, and the excuses for why this other thing is so much better than him. He persistently comes to them and he's present in the moment when they actually have some clarity and they realize that this addictive thing is not what really fulfills them, that they need something different. And he invites them back into his presence. He gives them grace and forgiveness over and over. And he continues to be there every time they relapse and they go back out again over and over again. And so when I get the picture as I think about how we all respond to those, those sinful desires in life, that it's not, there's more to what Jesus was saying than just the flock, the, the sheep wanders off and the, and the shepherd goes and finds them and brings them back. No, the sheep's going to wander again and again and again and again. And the shepherd has to go after him again and again. And that just deepens my understanding of how much God loves us. We have all been like that sheep and wandered astray. We all continue to do it even when we have been awakened to the love of God and we know how much better it is to be in fellowship with him. We continue to make those choices and yet God never, ever gives up on us. He continues to pursue us. He continues to welcome us back. He continues to pour out his grace. This is how much God loves you and I. He will not give up on us, even when we wander away from him. But you can imagine the kind of heartache that might cause God, and yet he never, ever gives up. 
This is why the fact that Jesus came and gave up his life for us while we were still sinners is so such a powerful display of love. Every one of us has something that draws us away from God, maybe more than one thing. And some of those attractions are more powerful than others, but we all wander away. And all those things tell us that they will fulfill us more than what fellowship with God does and more than fellowship with God's people does. And yet even when we reject him, before we ever realize we needed him, God sent his son to die for us. To me, that just communicates so much, illustrates at a much deeper level just how persistent God's love is. And it fills me with joy to know that he will continue to be there. And it, it causes me to want to just be, be looking for that more, to be more aware of how God is coming after me in every moment. He's there every time I'm tempted to turn away from him. And he is providing me an opportunity to come back. And even when I give in to the temptation, he will be there again and again and welcome me back. That's the love of the shepherd. Now, there's another side to this parable to consider, though, as well. It's not just about the love that God has for us. Who was Jesus telling this parable to? He was speaking, it says at the beginning, to um, the Pharisees who were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told this as a way to convict those Pharisees who were accusing him of spending too much time with sinners. They wanted to draw some conclusion that something was wrong with Jesus because he spent time with those people. Either he was one of them, just living in rebellion against God and unworthy of attention, or perhaps they were saying that there's something lacking in Jesus' devotion to God, that he would actually spend time with sinners rather than spending all his time uh, perhaps studying Scripture, perhaps um, in service to the temple or the synagogue, doing the things that the Pharisees thought demonstrated a righteous life. Rather than doing all those things, Jesus was out there eating with sinners. How terrible is what they were saying. And Jesus told this parable to convict them. Because it's always, it's always tempting for those of us who are living in the light of the knowledge of God's grace to adopt a similar attitude that the Pharisees have. And I think um, part of that comes from our, our desire to, to live fully for God. We want to show our devotion to God. We want to please him. And we want the whole world to please him. And so it can be easy to start saying, why isn't everyone following the Lord? And get a little frustrated with that. But that it can turn into a sinful attitude when we start to judge. And we start to say, hey, there's something wrong with those people. And we start to separate us from them and how we're better because we know Jesus and he saved us and he did all the work. We didn't do anything, but we're better somehow, right? That's the false idea that Satan gives us, right? But there's that temptation to start judging and dividing, and Jesus was calling that out. We have to be careful with this. So this parable also illustrates why Jesus was justified and welcoming sinners into his life and sharing life with them. He was participating in the Lord's work. He was coming alongside the Father, going out to seek after those lost sheep. 
So this parable illustrates that being a Christian and being a church today includes participating in that work as well, putting ourselves in places and in relationships in which God can work through us to draw those lost people back into his fold. And I know that's, that's nothing new, but I'm thinking about that today in light of this, this idea, this, this, this truth that there are distractions, addictions, temptations in people's lives that tell them they don't need anything else. That are actively pulling them away from any sense of needing to belong to a fellowship of people who love God, needing to have the love of God at all. Now think about what that means for us to participate in the work of seeking out those lost sheep and helping guide them back into God's fold. When they are persistently wandering off, when they may actively reject attempts to show them God's love. When they may initially respond with, oh yes, this is wonderful, and then say, oh, I'm sorry, never mind, I'm going to go back and do what I was doing before. Again and again and again. What does that mean for us as a church? And the way we interact with people who don't know the love of God. Much less ourselves, as we, as we struggle with our own sinful temptations, right? We at least know that God is there. We know God's grace. There are many people out there who don't know that. And we're living in a, in a culture today where loneliness and despair have risen to epidemic levels. But people living in isolation are not necessarily aware that's the problem. They don't necessarily think, oh, I need to be, connect with other people and find people who actually love and care for me and accept me, they think, I need a, a better drug. I need to spend more time on social media. I need to spend more time playing my games. I need to isolate myself even more and fill myself even more with this thing that, that harms me, but it makes me feel so good. What does that mean for us as Christians to be the ones who are saying, no, there's something so much better for you. What it means is we have to be the kind of people who are going to somehow insert ourselves into people's lives, notice what's happening in them, show them a love of God that, that they're not even looking for, show them care and concern and empathy and fellowship and invite them again and again and again and again into something different until that moment when the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, yes, this is what you need, and they decide to pursue it. This interview I was listening to made a point that loving someone through addiction is not something any one person can do on their own. This person who was speaking spoke from experience, that they themselves and other people in their church took on too many people, and their church fell apart because they couldn't handle it. It was too much. For any one of them to handle on their own, they recommend, hey, maybe one person per five to ten people filled with the love of God surrounding them, partnering together to help these people find their way back. This is not something we can do on our own. And we have to be aware of that. I think sometimes we do get a sense that, okay, God put me in this person's life, and he's going he's gonna to be there to help me guide them back into, into his fellowship 
And then you find you're getting calls in the middle of the night. You're having them ask you for things that you just can't do. You're, you, you, you're, you're stretching your limits, and you're like, I'm all alone in this, and I don't know what to do. And now I'm being sucked into things. And the reality is that God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to be their Savior. He wants us to be there as best we can. But to really help someone, it might mean you need to partner with somebody else, a few other people, and trade off. And be there for this person and show them authentic community. Those are just some of the thoughts that came to me as I listened to this. Is that Do we understand that reaching out to people, showing them God's love, is not just a casual activity? We're not just going to walk out into the world and find people who are like, oh, I really wish I had a loving community to belong to. And we're like, oh, we've got that. Come, join us. It's going to be great. Satan is too persistent for that. And he's too wise to just allow people to be that open. He is actively giving them things that draw them away from God. And so we have to ask God to fill us and teach us to somehow be relentless the way he is relentless with us in people's lives and to partner together in that. And so... um. All of this just emphasizes to me certain foundational points of being Christians and being the church. And that's really what I want to end on today. Just come back to these foundational things. And as I wrote that, I was thinking about what we're going through with my soccer team right now. Um, We keep trying to teach them certain things about how to play well together. And what my coaches and I do almost every week as we watch them play, like, It's the same old things over and over. It's the foundational things, the passing, the kicking. Do you know how to pass the ball? Do you know how to kick the ball? Do you know how to run? Do you know how to get put in position? It's, it's not so often the players want to talk about these high-level strategies. Oh, if we put this person there and that person here and this one goes here, we'll cover every angle, and if we do this and do that. And we're like, no, just, just, just get back to how to kick the ball. And remember the foundations. And I think as a church, that's, that's kind of where I'm just calling us today. Just remember some foundational things when it comes to being the church. And those foundational things are, first of all, we all need Jesus. We all need his love. We all need to stay grounded in him. We all need to, to keep learning how to listen to his voice as he calls us back as we go out and wander. We all need to be filled with his word and his love. We never lose our need for our Father to come find us and bring us back. We're all in process of overcoming things, and so we need Jesus. And we can't do the work he's given us without him. We all need each other is another foundational point. The church is a group of people brought together by the love of God to serve him. And we need to prioritize building our love and fellowship with one another in order to be the kind of people God wants us to be. Because we can't do it on our own. We need to be able to call on each other and partner together, both for supporting one another and in order to support and love people out in the world who don't know the love of God yet. And with those kinds of supports, with the love of God filling us, with the fellowship and connection with one another, we then need to put our effort into seeking out those who are lost and far from God and diligently asking God to provide ways for us to show them their love, show them his love, even when they're not looking for it. 
and to, to learn how to be persistent with that and not give up on people, even when they're pushing us away, even when they're telling us, no, I don't want what you have. So we know that they need it. And they will eventually learn that what God has is better than what they're seeking right now. The world needs people filled with the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, connected with one another, who will recognize that they are called for this time and this place to be the ones who will go out and find those sheep who've wandered off, who've been led astray by other things and point them back home and continue to point them back home until they finally return. Let's ask God to teach us how to be those kinds of servants for him. To, to partner with him in that work of rescuing those sheep that wander off and having the same kind of relentless love that he has for us. Let's pray together and give thanks to, to the work that God is doing in our lives and has done. Let's give him thanks that he is relentlessly, relentlessly pursuing every person and ask him to help us come alongside him with the same kind of love. Let's pray.